Welcome to the Awkward Throat Clear. I'm your host, Aaron Chalupa, and this is episode 41. In this interview, I'm with Alicia Risling, member of Bobsleigh Canada, and also Canadian Olympic athlete. We discuss everything Bobsleigh. We talk about her career, where she came from, where she's going, and where she is right now. We also discuss the Calgary Olympics, why they didn't happen, and what could have been. And we also talk about the Oilers, naturally, because she's from Edmonton. I'm a big fan of the Oilers, and it was just going to happen. Uh, this is a wonderful interview, guys. I really hope you enjoy it. Uh, Alicia was a great guest. She had very in-depth uh, answers, as well as uh, you know thorough stories. And it was just a real, real pleasure sitting down with her and just getting some insight in the sport a bit more and hearing some wonderful stories of uh, competition around the world. So without further ado, I couldn't uh, describe this interview anymore. Hopefully you guys really, really enjoy it. Here it is, episode 41, Alicia Risling. <coughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the, uh, the, <coughs> the Awkward Throat Clear. Now here's your host, Erin Chalupa. Hello, lovers of the Not After 30 podcast and likers of the Awkward Throw Clear. This is your host, Aaron Chalupa, the Chalupa Cabra. I'm here with Alicia Risling, part of Bobsled Canada. How's it going, Alicia? It's going good. <laughs> right yeah, on, right how on. How are you doing? Very good. Yeah, nice little drive from Edmonton to Calgary, but yeah. I, I, I know one, a thing or two about that drive. <laughs> I, I can imagine, because you are from Edmonton, correct? Absolutely, yeah. Yes, nice. Uh, one thing that I actually noticed, it was r- ridiculous. Um, at one of the gas stations, it was 72.9 for gas. What? Yeah. Where? Uh, near Millwoods area. Near that, like that South Costco. 72.9. Yeah. Let, you, let your folks know. <laughs> when was the last time 70s were on the board? I know, right? Jesus. It it's wild. It's absolutely wild. But we're not here to talk about gas. We're here to talk about you and your sporting career. And it's just been all over the place. Um, what other sports did you play growing up? Um, I've had a long sporting career. So I had scholarships in four sports. Basketball, soccer, track and field, and volleyball. And that was all with U of A? No, no. Oh, okay. No, so my um, soccer and volleyball scholarships were ACAC, so colleges, a couple colleges offered Mm -hmm. in Alberta. Uh, Basketball, I had all over the States. Um, And then a couple in Canada, and then track and field. No worries. Um, Track and field was... Uh, the states as well, and then but U of A was the only one that let me do both. So took a a basketball full ride and a track most ride mm-hmm. um, to go to U of A. What events in track? My main event was triple jump. Yeah, that's a, that helps in bobsled, <laughs> I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a brother, and do you have a sister as well? I do. Okay, so just the three of you. Three of us. And uh, I know your brother plays hockey. Does. And does your sister play sports as well? Not anymore. Not anymore. Okay. <laughs> no, she she played. She was very active all throughout high school and stuff. Yeah. She didn't play past high school. Okay. Um. But my yeah, my brother played in the dub. He played here in Calgary for the Hitmen. So no kidding. Here, okay. it was a really easy transition. Yeah. yeah. He was on buses everywhere. And yeah. He was all over my face. <laughs> um. And then yeah, and then he's still playing. So this year he's playing again in the East Coast Hockey League. 
Uh, oh, he's back in North America. He's back in North America. Oh, okay. I was gonna. I was gonna ask afterwards. Um, one of my buddies, he lives in Nottingham, and we're you know whenever I show up, we always go to the Panthers games, and I'll be like, "Is there a chance that I can run into him there?" And then interview him. But I guess I missed the boat there. Oh uh, yeah. Like I. So I went to Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Last Christmas we were in Germany racing, mm-hmm. and then my next race after Christmas was in Germany as well. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm not gonna go all the way back to North America for eight days. And mm-hmm. he was and Jaden was playing in Nottingham at the time. Yeah. So I told my family, I'm like, I'm just going to spend Christmas with the kid. That's what I call them. And uh, <laughs> they're like, well, if you guys are both not home, coming home for Christmas, maybe we should come to you. So then mom, dad, sister, and grandma hopped awesome. on the flight. And we had a little uh, UK Christmas. That's it was, sweet. It was adorable. So do you have family ties in the UK as well then? Not at all. No? no. Oh, okay. So no, just, just, just the brother at the time, the kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's a little bit different too. I find Christmas in Europe, even in the UK, compared to North America. Like I went for Christmas with uh, my relatives in Austria. I think about four years ago now, and it was just super cool. It was amazing. Like I thought, like we did a good job here. Especially mm-hmm. like my family is super. Like I'm putting my Christmas decorations up this weekend. Like <laughs> we love it, but but they just take it to a whole another level over there. Yeah, I think I went to like 13 different Christmas markets last year. Oh man, they, they're they're wild <laughs> with the Christmas markets. Did you have any of the mold wine? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, 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 and then the glue vine in the in Austria oh, and in Germany and Switzerland. Absolutely. Oh yeah, you 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 did it well. Yeah. Good, good job there. Um, so so gr- growing up in obviously a very sports household, uh, I would imagine that your parents were very involved with sports. I think that your it was your uncle that played in, in the, the show. Yeah, because I remember seeing a little story there where you're. Um, had the, the the sound bite of um, Carrie Fraser talking about oh, taking out chicklets? the teeth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what's what's your uncle's name? Gary Risling. Gary Risling. Yeah. Okay. So he's my dad. So my dad's whole side. Everybody was a hockey player. My yeah. dad played. Uh, my dad actually played in Germany. Oh um, wow. Yeah, and he played in the international hockey league, and then he went on to play senior men's AAA for mm-hmm. playing for five years. So he's in the hockey hall of fame as a loser. <laughs> he went to the Allen Cup five years in a row and lost. Yeah. yeah. Um. And, uh, yeah, but my uncle, who is also my godfather, he, he played, uh, on a line with Lemieux in Pittsburgh and then he ended up playing with the Capsule. Absolutely. For a while. Yeah. And th- so your dad and, uh, uncle grew up in uh, Edmonton area Edmonton. as well. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's always fun to hear those like family stories, like, you know, the Sutter brothers or, um, whoever else, especially in the prairies. So yeah. And their youngest brother ended up playing, he played, uh, for UMass and then, uh, played, I think in the coast or whatever league it was at the independent league at the time so mm-hmm. for a couple of years but they're all like a lot older now right? so when was it that you started making a decision like where is it um you because you're playing basketball playing volleyball you're playing track uh are, are you coming to a point where you're thinking okay well i'm not really feeling these sports or you're not getting the scouting or like what where, where's the transition from it was rugby too right you played rugby no 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 rugby sorry um uh, making the transition from those sports to possibly bobsled like were you scouted or did you just like see an ad or what so the the story goes i so i went to u of a played first year we went all the way to the national final with basketball Mm -hmm. lost by four still hurts um and then immediately as soon as we got home i went to track practice and started like first day back jumping and within like an hour, like I had so much pain in my legs and uh-huh. I was, this isn't right. Um, and that really affected me throughout the whole summer, like the whole off season. And then when I showed back up to training camp that year, I was kind of out of shape and everyone's like, what the heck? Like, that's so out of characteristic mm-hmm. for me. I'm usually always one of the fittest and that's kind of like how I got by on my athleticism, not my skill. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, 
I just hurt. Like I just hurt all the time. Ended up finding out that I had chronic compartment syndrome and I had to get surgery. So at that point, coaches are like, you have to choose. You wow. either you, you either go track or you go basketball, but you only can do one. And mm-hmm. like, there was no way I was leaving my basketball team. Like mm-hmm. we had such a close knit group of girls. We were so good. Um, yeah, I was like, that was an easy, easy decision for mm-hmm. me. Um, and so anyways, after that year, I ended up getting surgery on my shins and then I couldn't, uh, get, um, what's it called? I couldn't run for a little while because mm-hmm. the, like I was on load management. So I was doing a lot of Olympic weightlifting with one of my profs who had taken me under his wing. And so I was training in a gym and they were doing a recruiting camp for bobsled and they had the track and field girls running th- mm-hmm. through this camp. And I'm looking around and I was doubling the weight that these girls were lifting easily. Wow. And I was looking, I was like, I used to beat her in high school. I used to beat her. <laughs> I used to, and then I was telling my prof this, who is my coach as well. And he's like, well, why don't you try out? So he goes over and like asks the recruiter. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, like you might want to consider her. And they come over and spoke to me and they, you know, either they're like, yeah, like you could come through this battery of tests, but, um, if you make the team, we need you to move to Calgary, You'd be spending most of the year in Whistler, blah, 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 because this was prior to the 2010 games. Um, and I said, absolutely not. Like, I, I was here to go to school. I was here for my scholarship. There was no way I was leaving my team. Um, but it kind of planted that seed. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, when I graduated and I took a year off of sports and I was studying to try and get into a master's program and I didn't get in. And uh, I was like, well, maybe I'd be an athlete again. And I called them up and... Came down to Calgary and did a couple tryouts and worked my way up from the provincial team. Mm-hmm. And what year would, would that have been? That would have been 2012. Okay. So we're, let me just do the math in my okay. head quickly. You were just, like, uh, Vancouver just happened. Yeah. So that was fresh in your brain. <laughs> that like, what a party that was. Yeah. So I was in Australia been... at the time. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. man, I hated myself. I was like, why am I here? <laughs> um, so they're probably using that as like the big push, just like for Korea that mm-hmm. just happened here. That was a big push. I saw, I saw lots of ads there from Bell and RBC and all that kind of stuff. It was, you know, like, let's get a new wave of athletes coming in here. Um, so were they kind of like trying to dangle a carrot in front of you like in all the recruits being like, hey, you push yourself really hard. Maybe you can do the Olympics. Like, obviously, there's that. But like talking to like the, the absolutely the, not no nobody absolutely not what happened with me the pathway i was in there so they do that with blue chip athletes athletes that they like headhunt mm-hmm. and, and the ones that they've already been like this is this person's gonna be awesome i was like hey can i do this they're like yeah okay you can go ahead and then even <laughs> like I, I remember after my second year i was not very good when i started mm-hmm. at all i was not and i was told i was never going to make the national development team because wow. i really never had the capacity to push at the level that they needed to no kidding yeah so that 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 i was grinding i was not yeah there was no pathway for me i i paved it all myself well no no for sure for sure but yeah i was just like wondering like how real of, i've always wondered like because even talking to jesse and then Ke- kevin as well it's just it seems so like no real set rules for bobsled recruitment and like how to get to there's so many pathways in yeah everyone kind of has to trailblaze their own way and some people some athletes are literally picked up from another sport dropped into the number one yeah rugby's a common one football that kind of stuff those combines yeah yeah it just depends on where you were and like i was coming in when i started bobsled i had been out of the gym for 14 months Mm -hmm. i had been doing yoga and drinking a lot of beer like i was not (laughs) i was not ready to go and be an elite level and it took a long time for me to get back to it and it took a lot of help too because i needed 
I needed some specific training with a, a trainer who was willing to be patient with me. Yeah, after talking to Esther, uh, it, uh, after like the, the thing, I would just like go up to her, I'm like, hey, so you're telling all the recruits, it's like, maybe like, you know, you're not gonna touch a sled and be on the ice for like a year and all this kind of stuff. I'm 30 next summer. And it's just like, you're a bit older. <laughs> it's like not saying it's not gonna happen, but yeah. uh, maybe if you want to be like, uh, a timekeeper and I was like oh yeah thanks <laughs> but, but she was super sweet about it and everything too but yeah it, it is it is very real for someone to really look at what's realistic and what they possibly could attain and then how to get there and like what kind of sacrifices they're willing to make so at that age you know like well, the biggest thing I looked at myself if I was um, you know because I was in forestry ever since I was about 16 mm -hmm. and I'm like hey this would be a perfect job. Uh, that'd be a perfect opportunity because I fight fire in the summertime, make a good a good amount of money, mm -hmm. and in the wintertime I'm free. And then I also have access to gym while I'm you know fighting fire. So wouldn't this just be great? But didn't do that plan um, because I'm like, oh, I want to have fun, drink beer, all that kind of stuff, <laughs> yeah. travel. Yeah. And it, it must have been very tough to you know make those sacrifices to you know try to go after this goal, especially when you're not a you know quote-unquote a blue chip prospect well yeah and and i think when i first started i was it was just something i was gonna do while i was transitioning trying to figure out what i was gonna do with the next part of my life um but i i just loved it so much that it was like this is what i wanted to do and all i ate was tuna and spinach for lunch and dinner for about six months <laughs> because i was so poor yeah because it's so expensive yeah that i couldn't do anything like my friends like they'd invite me out and like mm. I'd go out and like people would buy me drinks because they would like feel so bad <laughs> i'm like i literally have less than twenty dollars yeah. yeah yeah no for sure for sure and i'm sure you got a lot of uh, being a sports so strong in your household did you get a lot of support from your folks as well and your family to uh, <clears throat> like to a degree so mm -hmm. my 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 dad obviously huge sports fan mm -hmm. but at this point i'm 22 years old i i didn't like it was kind of time to grow up i think is what the mm -hmm. the pressure that i felt mm -hmm. especially like from my mom's side because i wasn't good when i started i wasn't so it, it wasn't even like i got in and i was just doing it because i was going to go to the olympics right away mm -hmm. like it was like six years out from from um pyeongchang mm -hmm. and there was no chance i was gonna i would have had to start the year before i started if i wanted to make it for um for sochi yep and like i wasn't good so it wasn't like i was just doing this because like they thought that there was an immediate chance like it wasn't until about four years in that we yeah. realized i actually had a chance to do great things in it mm -hmm. so um that's why there was a little bit of a pushback at the beginning whereas like when i moved to calgary i moved out of my parents house mm -hmm. it was kind of like okay you're an adult you have to fend for yourself mm -hmm. and like we if you want to do this you can do it but like you're gonna have to do it yourself yeah you got and they helped the me where they could because they knew how hard i was struggling <laughs> and how long i wanted it and like don't get me wrong i couldn't have done it without them like and even now still they still like i'm 30 and i'm still on parents account for a couple things don't oh no know. no we, yeah. we i think everybody in our generation is still a part of that kind of like where they don't really want it and i think it's they don't really want us to leave completely yet they're like hey where are you going that's like true. come on like that's true what do you mean you're not hanging out with me i think the day that comes that i can't like if i like start putting stuff into mom's wallet instead of hers into mine i think she would be offended like, mm -hmm. i don't even know if that's a possibility oh man like i'm at my dad's house and i'm cooking my own breakfast and he's like what do you think you're doing i'm like 
making breakfast. He's like, sit down. I'm going to make it. But like, no, like I can do it myself. Oh, it's like, fine. Like, like, I'm like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> or like, I'll start grabbing stuff. It's like, or, you know, one morning he'll be like, well, you can make your own breakfast. I'm like, all right. So I start looking around and he's like, well, make sure you grab that. And yeah, I grab that. What, what setting do you have the frying pan at? Like, ah. It's just like, oh my God. Like, come on, man. You're like, <laughs> give me a on. break. <laughs> Sorry, I can't do it perfectly. And you're I'm like, an adult, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and I was going to make it the joke too. It's just like maybe your parents feel a little bit of sympathy too because you always show up, you're smelling like a tuna and spinach. And you know, <laughs> it's like, well, Alicia hasn't been able to buy the spinach because there's the E. coli outbreak there and we just don't know what's going on. Wasn't that, that was lettuce, wasn't it? Or romaine? <laughs> well, there was a the romaine and a little bit before there was the spinach was too. Yeah, I remember they're making fun of Popeye and some characters and stuff like that. Oh, man. Um, so prior to bobsled, like, did you ever think about the Olympics before? Like, like in track and field, obviously, maybe basketball or just like the dream of playing some sport that you didn't even touch yet. Like- so that that's actually a great question because I, I do a speaking um, presentation and it's called Challenge Accepted. And I have to explain that to people. I'm like, the Olympics never crossed my brain at any point. I love watching them. Mm-hmm. It, they were awesome. I always thought about how cool would it be to go to the Olympics, but they were never something that was attainable for me mm-hmm. because I was not good enough of a basketball player. Like I said before, like yeah. I, I was a role player. I was athletic, but mm-hmm. I was not a skilled player. Yeah. And our women's team, by the way, is, and I'm too short based on what I'm <laughs> Like yep. I'm 5'11", I'm too short. No, I hear you. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, and basketball was by far my main sport. And then I just didn't, do track and field at a high enough level for long enough. I only did club in my in grade twelve, and mm-hmm. then I only did that one, like half a year at U of A. So I I, I never really thought of that as a, attainable. So my my process for sport pathway was always I wanted to get a scholarship. Mm-hmm. From grade five, I wrote a project that said I was going to get a scholarship in sports, and I was going to study to become a doctor, and that's exactly what I did. And I kind of forgot that there once that you attain that you have to set the next goal and i never dreamed big enough to do it like that so once all of a sudden i got into bobsled and i was like i love this i love this sport Mm -hmm. and like it could bring me to the olympics and then i got a little bit better and then i was like no like that this is the dream like now now this is my new dream yeah Mm -hmm. So no, growing up, I wasn't thinking about it at all. Just hit, hit you with a, like a brick wall kind of thing. It's like, oh my God, yeah. this is attainable. Like, totally. holy shit, let's go. Exactly. And especially like when you had, um, you know, your pilot at the time when you got to go to Pyeongchang was uh, Heather Moisey. Like, She's my break man. Pardon me? She was my break Oh, right. She switched over. Right, right. No, she never drove. Really? Heather was never a pilot. No, nope. she kidding. she was Kaylee's brakeman for the previous two years. Yes, Helen Upperton, Jesse's um, okay. partners uh, for the year before that, or oh. the Olympics before that. Okay. So Heather Fair has enough. four Olympics as a brakeman. Yeah. One with Helen Upperton, who is Jesse's partner. Yes. And then two gold medals with Kaylee, mm-hmm. and then me. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Well, and then like just jumping from that. Uh, it must be really reassuring to have someone behind you helping you along the way with the mentorship and experience and everything too. So when I reached out to her via Instagram, <laughs> um, we had never met cause she had been around the Sochi year, mm-hmm. but I was on the development tour. Yeah. Like I was, I was on, I was still team Alberta at that point. I wasn't mm-hmm. in Canada development. Um, and, uh, she, I wrote to her and I know she knew who she, I was because she obviously follows the sport and, and I had been on World Cup for the year before and I my when I wrote to her, I was like, 
can I convince you to come back? And if not to be just my brakeman, but to just be my mentor. Yeah. Like I, you have so much experience. I'm not, I did not handle the stress in the Olympic year well. Yeah. Um, and uh, she came in and just like was the biggest stress relief, stress mo- motivation slash best friend. Like she was so incredible. Even this day, like I called her last week. We talked on the phone for an hour and a half. Like, yeah. Yeah. She's, she's such an amazing... That's a short phone call. Yeah. She's <laughs> such an amu- amazing human being and I've learned so much from her and I mm-hmm. just can't be more thankful than that she came back and to spend that time with me. And so from what I understand, usually you make the transition from brakeman to pilot over time, but did you go right to pilot? Uh, my For- first year with Team Alberta, I was brakeman. Mm-hmm. Um, but during that season, that was the year before the Sochi games. Mm -hmm. And I saw what happened was there were a couple girls that had been in the program for the last three years, grinding away and they lost. And then Heather came back that year Mm -hmm. and some of those girls lost their spot by like less than a hundredth of a second. You know what I mean? And like, not necessarily in that, in that way, but like, that's actually like how you break it down. That's what could happen. And so I knew if that, if after my first year of me just falling in love with this sport and like mm-hmm. wanting to do it, I was like, if I'm going to go, I can't be putting in the next five years in the back seat and have someone magically show up a month before the Olympic season starts and take my spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the pilot that qualifies the sled. And like, as the rest of my sporting career, I've always gotten by on my athletic ability mm-hmm. and my work ethic. Um, I'm never going to be the strongest and I'm never going to be the fastest. Uh I have an okay combination of the best, but like there are always going to be girls that are significantly faster than me. So Uh recognizing that early, I was like, if I really want to do this, I'm going to have to do it from the front seat because it, I, it's not going to happen for me in the back. Mm -hmm. And thank God I did that because the Olympic year, what those girls were pushing, like uh, there's no chance. There's no chance. And uh, how, how do you find like being in the front seat, like obviously in the back seat you don't really know what the hell's going on so in the front seat you do you don't know that because you've only been down once but once you go down i went down twice twice, (laughs) the second time was much better because i remember the mouth guard that you reminded me and like the first time i was like this sucks this sucks because i didn't have it in second time oh my god so much better so much better oh yeah (laughs) well and then like i gripped it really weird and i just like was smacking against the bone of my hand and it was just like they were bruised for like a month i'm just like my yeah, God! I literally black yeah. and blue the entire season. Well, and like I, I remember reading a few of your posts as well as um, just other people's stuff too. Like how many times when you take a, a fall or a spill, like as you're like, all right, here we go, we're falling. I wonder if it's gonna be my leg. I wonder if it's gonna be my head. It's gonna be my shoulders. It's gonna be my hands. Like what's gonna hurt? You know, when I actually stand up. Mostly everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's like, uh, what is it, John Candy's quote, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, bones don't break uh, when you're, you know, in frozen temperatures. They shatter. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, but, yeah, no, there, there's a lot more to being a brakeman, I think, once you, once you get to the elite well, level. Well, uh, of course. Feel, I'm, I'm, not tr- I'm not trying to make it yes, downplay it right. all. But for me, I had to be in the front seat, not just because of, like, I needed that extra element mm-hmm. to, to, to perfect. So, like, driving a sled is it's a hard thing to do. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like it's, it's a skill in itself. <clears throat> and it, it matters equally as much, if not more than the push, right? Cause mm-hmm. you can't twin a bobsled race. You need three things. You need the fastest push possible, mm-hmm. the smoothest drive possible mm-hmm. and the best equipment. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, and with the brakeman aspect, they're only responsible for that push part and they better be damn good at the push mm -hmm. part, but the pilot's responsible for all three. So by taking on more responsibility and more ownership, I think it, that's where you kind of start to weed people out and mm -hmm. like see if they really have what it takes to make it. And the, the one thing I have going for me is I've always been the hardest worker in the room. Like, so it doesn't matter if you're better than me, I'm going to outwork you to get there. Yeah. And that's the way I've kind of approached my life in general. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh yeah so being in the front seat and the first i was so bad when i started i was so bad like so bad i think a lot of people are no they are but like i was really bad like really bad but i was so determined that i was gonna get it that i just like kept going and like i was i crashed all the time mm -hmm. i was always like broken people were like why are you doing this to yourself like you suck <laughs> And I was like, no, because I'm going to get it. Like, mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a slow learner. I'm mm -hmm. going to get it. And then once I started to kind of understand how to drive less mechanically and more like a rhythm and like try to actually feel what I was doing mm -hmm. rather than trying to anticipate what I was doing. And a lot of that was calming down nerves so that the corners come at you slower. And, mm -hmm. and it just took seat time. Like, it took... I was so lucky to be in the Winsford Academy program the one year we had it. And... Like I did essentially two full seasons in one year mm. and I hated my life every single minute of it. Like it was awful. Like my nervous system was shattered. Yeah. I lost 15 pounds. Like I was like not eating, not sleeping, like didn't see any friends. Like mm -hmm. it was just, it was terrible at the time. But every single day I had to ask myself, I'm like, is what I'm doing today going to make me a better bobsledder in the future? And the answer was always yes. So, so. yeah, and I guess if it, if it keeps being yes, then might as well keep yeah. going and everything too, as long as you're not gonna destroy yourself in any way yeah <laughs> um pardon me yeah like when i went down it's just and like not not to you know make kevin sound like a terrible pilot or anything but there was times where i'm like am i gonna fly out and like just thinking that like because you know snowboarding you, you're wearing a helmet and everything in bobsled too but it's just one of those things where you get thrown and you're like all right i'm just gonna be hitting something and you're like yeah, i don't know what's gonna happen <laughs> but it's gonna happen never been in this situation before this is quite interesting because you know uh bobsled compared to a vehicle uh, you don't have airbags you don't really have the, God, the, no. the seat belts you don't like your seat belts you holding no, yourself you're down only getting thrown around like yeah. i compare a bobsled crash to people stuffing you in a giant metal garbage bin and kicking you off the top of a hill I, i've said that before too with with marbles in there because mm -hmm. it like that was one thing that surprised me was how loud it is so loud and it's it must be very difficult as a pilot to concentrate. I, I guess, uh, like as you said, seat time gives you the experience just to you know get that kind of I don't want to say tunnel vision because that makes it sound like you're uh, ignoring other things. Easier have tunnel vision. Yeah, because it, well, it you know to a point your life depends on it and yeah. your race and the person behind you. Yeah. Um. So you really need to just focus there and anticipate the turns and make sure you're not you know throwing yourself around too much. And and to a degree, like within the corners, like you always need to be looking far enough ahead, but you do need to have tunnel vision. So like I can go down the track and there can be people leaning into the track. And if it's a track that I'm uncomfortable with or not, like I don't have that many runs on mm -hmm. and they're leaning in the track, I won't see them. I oh, won't really? see them. I won't see them at all. No. Wow. And like in terms of like the sound, you rarely hear anything. Motorcycle helmets are so thick. And then plus in the back seat, you probably weren't wearing a visor. Nope. Nope. That makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. So front seat visor. So when I my pre race routine, when I when I close my visor, those are my blinders. Mm -hmm. So when my visor goes down, mm -hmm. like that's that's 
light it's literally lights out all i see is what's directly in front of the visor i don't look anywhere in the peripherals the difference is like i have over a thousand runs in calgary so mm-hmm. if i was just doing a run in calgary where i wasn't trying something new and i was just going down and there were people on the track i'd probably wave at them really, <laughs> but like you know what i mean i could see them then. yeah but that that's the difference in a track like calgary no problem i have almost a thousand runs in whistler and i'm not waving at anybody in whistler so i've heard that's quite the sketchy not, one not a chance i'm doing anything <laughs> except for trying to make it down whistler alive yeah. no absolutely yeah um there's been lots of talk about uh, the four-man event, including uh, women and men. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you've ever been interested in? Uh, I was the first woman to ever drive a sled with four women in it in an international race. How did that go? It went awesome. <laughs> it was great. There were drinks at the end, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, so, like, looking back on it, it was at a time, so... After the Sochi Olympics, mm-hmm. the 2014-2015 season, they made the the four-man event uh, gender neutral. Mm-hmm. So both men and women were allowed to compete in it. Okay. So what happened was we, Team Canada, sent Kaylee Humphreys as a pilot with three men pushing her. Mm-hmm. The U.S. sent Alana Myers-Taylor with three men pushing her, and they competed on the circuit, mm-hmm. um, driving the four-man sled. I was on the development circuit still at that time. That was my first year on the national development team. Um, and we were the last races of the year and they needed extra four man sleds for the race to count as for full points. And we didn't have any extra guys. Mm-hmm. All the guys were racing. So our coaches put our two, two women teams together and I got to drive it because I was ranked higher than the other female pilot. So I had the other female pilot, her name was Julia had to get take days out of her training days mm-hmm. and get in my four-man sled that I'd never driven before with her brakeman and my brakeman. And mm-hmm. we made this four-woman team. And actually, one of the American girls did the same thing. So they put two female sleds into it. Um, and it was awesome. Like, it was such a good experience. And I got to the bottom after that first run, and I was so mad. I was like, are you guys kidding me? And they're like, what? And I was like, that is so much easier to drive. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, because of the weight, I had so much more control Mm -hmm. than I did in my Mm two-man. And that's the thing I think the guys don't understand. So a lot of times the girls get chirped in the two-man event because the girl sleds will be fish-tailing sideways. And guys are like, man, the girls are crappy drivers and we're like no we have 100 kilos less in the sled like we it's it you try and drive a sled so i've like often said this to some of my male teammates i'm like Mm -hmm. take a girl who weighs 100 pounds in your back seat and take her down and try not to fishtail. Mm-hmm. You'll know, like, it's insane the difference it makes. Well, Kevin was mentioning that to me last year. He's like, oh, it's really cool that you're able to, you know, agree to come down. Um, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, you, do you have a lot of people that you're taking down with you? He's like, well, no, like, there's a girl that's coming out, I think, in two days or something like that. So if you want to, like, ride in the back, like, the whole week, feel free. Like, I'm going to let my hands heal up and, like, <laughs> yeah. kind of calm down after this all. And uh, it's probably a really dumb idea, but... Uh, I, I donated blood at Edmonton that morning. I drove from Edmonton to Calgary, mm-hmm. pretty much just to do on these uh, these slides. And I was going to visit some friends too. And I'm thinking, like, as I'm getting to the, the bobsled, I'm like, 
I wonder what the G-force is going to do to me since I don't have that much blood in me. <laughs> it was You're fine. probably been fine. a little dizzy, though. Uh, you know what? I didn't really have that much sickness. Okay. I, I'm, I'm used to that kind of stuff with helicopters for yeah, flying. Yeah, that makes a big difference. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah. I tell you, it was different in uh, flying some bird dogs, uh, smaller planes with the tankers this year. Oh, my God. Oh. This is like, you'll be sick. I'm like, nah, I'm fine. It's like, take some gravel. I'm like, okay. I'm like, oh, that was a good idea. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So that was, that was very interesting. And yeah, like you would be 100% right without that weight. Like. You have that much more control. So the thing about the four-man, though, is, like, there was my woman's team in it, and Mm -hmm. then there's American women's team in the race, and we came second last and last. Mm -hmm. Because we had 120 kilos less in the sled, and weight accelerated by a velocity over a distance. It's science. It's science. (laughs) Like, we, we just, like don't have a chance but there's not some kind of um like you can't add weights to balance out the 100 percent. we could add 100 kilos into the sled but then Mm -hmm. we got to push it oh yes and remember you need the push yes to get it right so like if we are pushing a sled that weighs that much more so that's what i'm saying like it's never going to work the men competing against the women it's Mm -hmm. not um and just just solely based on science and Mm -hmm. and physiology you know what i mean so we continued to compete in the four men, we being Canadians and Americans, mm-hmm. and there was one Romanian girl as well. She put together a four man team. Oh, cool. So we did the first ever women's world championships at the end of the next season in Europe, um, in Eagles, Austria, we got to do that. But we were really disappointed because we had this event that was like an extra add on event. It wasn't taking away from anything else and no other European w- women competed. And we're like, what the heck? Like especially from Germany. What are you doing? And you know why? Because the German coaches wouldn't let them. Really? The girls wanted to do it, and their coaches wouldn't let them. I was gonna be. I was gonna lead up with that as well. It's like there's so many sports where I'm curious as to why there's not a female event in them. Like um, ski jumping is probably the biggest one. I remember like, hearing uh, some stuff on Facebook and Instagram about ski jumping. There is women ski jumping now, though. Now there is. Yeah. Yes. And I was just, I was, so, I was so curious before as why there wasn't. Like, is it just because it's sexism and it's old boys club? So, or is it just lack of interest or funding by the, the country itself? Or? In, in bobsled, I can tell you without a doubt, 100%, it is, it is old boys club. Really? Yeah. So the fa- head of the federations are like, like even just the way they're going with lowering the women's weight limit. Mm-hmm. Like they, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I gave a very like, confused look there, listeners. <laughs> Um, they're really just trying to a open the sport up to more women mm-hmm. because they're to be a bobsled athlete, you have to be extremely strong, extremely fast, and you have to weigh a lot. Like, yes, like I'm five eleven. I'm a pretty big girl. Like mm-hmm. there's not that many women in the world that are fit in like my category of, mm-hmm. of shape. And then so they're trying to think that you know, by lowering the weight limit, it will open the sport to new new girls. But the problem is you get these girls that are weighing, you know, okay, I'm just gonna go out and say it. So I weigh 175 pounds. Um, and we're trying to recruit girls from track and field that mm-hmm. weigh 130. Yeah, no, that doesn't work. And then, so you tell them they get into bobsled and they have to put on 40 pounds. Mm-hmm. Like good luck trying to tell any girl they have to put on 40 mm-hmm. pounds, you know what I mean? Um, but also like they're doing this sport under high g-forces under high speed it is much more dangerous mm-hmm. like it's much more dangerous even for us being women in the same sleds as men because we don't fill it out the same way the guys that weigh mm-hmm. 225 pounds mm-hmm. so like going through all this it's it's kind of this old boys mentality where they're like they want smaller women in it to get it in but and yeah. so they also don't think that 
four women have any business driving a four man bobsled because it's too strong for them or too too crazy for them. Oh, honey, are you gonna be able to push that down the track all by yourself? No, all that's four actually, of you think that is actually I can't. Like, I've had co- Amer- like uh, European coaches say that to my face. That blows me away. And I'm like, it's twenty whatever year this was 2016 <laughs> it was 2016 i'm like are you, this is a joke like it's actually a joke yeah. to me so and that was the problem so with the ioc pushback they said they wanted to give us the four man event the mm-hmm. four women event but there wasn't enough girls doing it mm-hmm. and we're like well we don't have enough girls doing it because their coaches won't let them do it yes so the ioc put pressure then on to um the ibsf the international bobsled and skeleton federation said you have to give them a second event and they said fine we'll give them monobob one person. One person, Bob said. That's exciting. <laughs> it's a slab in the face. So you have so you have to push a sled by yourself now. It's a one person sled. Yeah. It weighs the same amount, roughly, as a two man sled. That's ridiculous. And it was a monobob was created for para athletes. Mm-hmm. So it's it was a it's a para sport. Mm-hmm. And then they give it to the women. That's very. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. Maybe maybe some other women might feel a little different about it, but that's how I feel about it. Well, so I'm like, it, are you it, kidding me? We just regressed. Well, if if there's people that aren't like women that aren't interested in the four person, you know, sled well, or whatever. There's not enough women, so that's why they're saying. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Like that's fair. Like if you're like, ah, that doesn't really interest me too much. I'm not really concerned. Fair, but the way they go about it. The overhead is kind of a, a greasy way to do it. Very much so. Yeah. Like, we have issues in firefighting with weights and stuff, too, because, um, you know, uh, it, now the um, disbanded repel program, um, where you'd repel out of the helicopter and fight a fire, um, you would have to be under a certain weight limit. But there was also the point where you needed to be over a certain weight limit, because if you're 110 pounds, 120 pounds, and you're dangling from a rope and it's got some wind, you're going to be flying oh all gosh, over the place. Be like yeah. Like the, and if you're the first one out, like nobody's going to hold that line for you. You're going to be flying around. And I was, I remember talking to one of my buddies who was a spotter for years and he's like, yeah, we had one guy come in and he, like this guy was 120 pounds and six foot one. I'm like, what did he look like? <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, and he really wanted to do this. And we had to tell him no because he wasn't heavy enough. And it's like, you have to put on weight. Not only do you have to put on weight just to be heavy enough to go down the line, you have to be strong enough to carry a pump and hose boxes and stuff like that too. So it's very interesting. And it's where we're getting a little bit of push. I'm not trying to compare anything like that, but it is interesting where you're starting to get this um, battle or... Um, in ours it's a little bit different where we're getting a little bit of push with our uh fitness test and they're saying oh it's well it's gender and age biased it's like well i think it's more of a height thing mm-hmm. and um you know a strength thing too so if you are taller and you have a like a larger chest and stuff you can put the backpack on and cinch up the the um the straps so it doesn't like because there's so many uh shorter people that we have that just keeps like hitting them in the back of the thigh oh because it's the backpack so long yeah oh okay. yeah well it's like for me it would sit just above my butt yeah but um for somebody that was you know shorter. half my size or something well not half but um it would be hitting them in the back yeah, of the yeah. thigh for even a couple inches shorter yeah, yeah exactly so yeah. it is very interesting but yeah that that's that's absolutely ridiculous so um I might have missed it, but are you? Is there the four person pushing on further from this? So because it didn't get on as an Olympic event, mm-hmm. um, so in tw- we needed it in by 2017, and that w- that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So we kind of like put four men to the back burner because mm-hmm. it was kind of like one of those things where you know it's not an Olympic thing. You might as well focus on the thing that that yeah. the Olympic, yeah. So no, no girls. Uh, I shouldn't say no girls. I'm pretty sure a couple girls might have done 
I think Alana, one of the Americans, did a format event last year or the year before. But but I'm just saying it's not like not nearly as like we only had four girls that were doing it anyway, mm-hmm. and now zero girls are doing it. So is there some way that uh, the public could get involved and you know talk to someone, write some letters? Before, no, there's not. Oh, okay. Well, well shit. Unless <laughs> yeah, unless, unless you can convince every single coach in all the European nations to <laughs> recruit and start a recruiting program and spend money to get all their women into format. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I'm not sure what our poll is in Europe right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so another big thing that was happening here in Calgary uh, last winter was the big discussion about the Olympics coming to mm-hmm. Calgary and there was the vote mm-hmm. and I follow a few different Olympic athletes, uh, Canadian ones, and they were all for it, obviously. Mm. So there's the biasness there. But right. in in all in all, it seemed like it would be quite the economical kickstart Kickstarter, like really getting business going on and stimulating yeah. work. And <laughs> so you know, to host the and to host the Olympics again in Canada seems like such a great thing. I was listening to some sports analysts, and they were saying it, it is a very expensive event to host, mm-hmm. obviously. But what they what what a lot of people are starting to think now is instead of forcing these areas to have an Olympic event in like places like Sochi, where you can't really sustain that and it's not really a populated area, why not have it kind of more of a tour circuit where you know in Canada you can do Vancouver and Calgary and they can have because we have so many of those facilities mm-hmm. like in forestry we even use some of the athletes villages from oh, really? the from the 88 Olympics down in uh, what was it the Bow the Bow River camp uh, sorry the, the elbow it was the elbow um, and like, so you don't really need to build all these new buildings you know besides a new arena for the flames mm-hmm. because that's a I guess I shouldn't be <laughs> bashing the saddle dome too much um, but it, it would it would save a bit more money and you know it makes it easy for everyone to come over and like if they really wanted a winter olympics in say quebec or toronto like that's that's such a, a shot in the dark to see if they if they have the enough snow and then also the skiers yeah be able to afford it. okay so what happened was we i'm speaking on behalf of the athletes that were in the yes 2026 yep. like we have a bias obviously we want the olympics here obviously mm-hmm. even if i was an olympian i'd still want the olympics here mm-hmm. but i'm a sports fan so this city, I'm in Calgary, mm-hmm. the vibe here since in the last probably like since 2015 has been hurting. Like it's the, the energy of the city, it's noticeably changed. Um, people a lot more bitter. There's a lot more vacancy. There's a lot more insecurity. There's a lot like- In what way? Because of the oil and gas crash. So yeah. in terms of so many people unemployed, um it's been it's been tough like mm-hmm. and you can see it in businesses you can see it in the size of i worked in the industry like bar industry so like i would work stampedes and stuff to help fund bobsled and like parties were nothing like they used to be like mm-hmm. nothing people aren't spending money the way they used to yes um because there is no money and so what's going on with this city is like we are the hub of oil and gas and oil and gas this is like this goes beyond just the olympic bid this is oh, such a it, well it's point. so networked right yeah. it has so, to be it, yeah and just what's going on in terms of like people protesting the oil sands and that sort of deal and it's people just don't understand that like we can't just change overnight mm-hmm. and 
and all of a sudden tomorrow we're going to wake up and not use any fossil fuels. Like it's just like it's people just can't comprehend that. And I think most people understand that it is bad. Like, like oil is not, you know, the cleanest and everything too, but we can't just go overnight. Right. Like, no, like, and I think that's the biggest thing, like just before I'm going to go back to the Olympics, but like, (laughs) but like, it's fine. The the thing is like, people just think that like, if we shut down all the tar sands, we'll stop, we'll stop global warming. And it's like, no, that's not what's going to happen. Like at all. But instead we're being like the, the kind cozy Canadians, like, Oh, we're going to do everything we can to like help prevent global warming. In the meantime, other countries like China and India are going to keep pumping up like ridiculous coal into the air and stuff. But like, in the meantime, we're willing to completely tank our economy mm-hmm. just so that we can do our part for the world. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, all of us are going to be in poverty right away. I think yeah. the way this is going. Um, anyways, so the vibe in Calgary, people are, are so misinformed, I think, that with the, the way the media is going and like just not getting all the facts from both sides. And mm-hmm. I think you really have to educate yourself on what's going on from either side of it, because there's always two sides to every story. But what happened with the Olympic bid is we went and like interviewed people, especially in, in the hurting areas of Calgary. So like I consider that like the Northeast quadrant and, and uh, a lot more like immigrated pos- um, population there and lower income and that sort of deal. And we're like, if it was going to cost your family, $2,000 a year for the next eight years, but your wages would increase and like you've had way more opportunity for work and the growth of the city and blah, blah, blah. And like trying to name off all the positive things that would come from this influx of billions of dollars from three levels of government mm-hmm. and plus the IOC incentives. Um, would you do it? And people would be like, no, because that's money it was like it was something like it was like fifty dollars a month or something that they're like no because that's fifty dollars a month that i could send back home yeah and then what happened was they voted no on the olympic bid and it was really close it was like 53 percent to 40 i don't know i can't do math right 47 or whatever (laughs) and uh and that monday so city council was holding out on property taxes so then that monday the new property tax assessment came out and their property taxes went up more than what the olympic bid would have cost them per month oh my god like it's just like people were so short-sighted on like what was happening and people like no like all the corruption and they're comparing it to like Athens, how it tanked their economy for a year. They were comparing it to Brazil and all these things. Yeah, like, it, it, Athens Olympics was the whole thing that started the Greek. Uh, it, you know, it, it was just unbelievable. And I'm, but I'm like, people are comparing Summer Olympics to Winter Olympics. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. They're mm-hmm. completely different. The Winter Olympics are a quarter of the size of the Summer Olympics. Mm-hmm. We already have all the facilities. Mm-hmm. They need upgrades anyway. So what another like really important stat was it was going to cost the initial like um, surveys they did. So it was going to cost 1.2 billion to restore all the facilities we had, mm-hmm. or it was going to cost 575 million just to get rid of them and then never have them again. Okay. So 1.8 like double the cost. <clears throat> But like have them for the next 30 plus years yeah. 
or bulldoze them because they got to come down because like everything's falling apart. Yeah. Literally oh, well, that's, apart. that's my biggest thing is like when I was hearing the, like the argument, it's, and like, you know, us being from Edmonton, we got the Rogers arena and like yeah. all this stuff is, it's wonderful. It's so nice. And like that, like, it seems that Edmonton's got like, even though there's the recession, it seems like it's got a really good injection of life in there it with, has. with the infrastructure. And I keep saying that to people right here and they're like, you're just saying that because you were from Edmonton. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like. I grew up in Edmonton and I wanted to get the hell out of there. Yeah. Like, I wanted to come to Calgary. Who doesn't? Cooler city. <laughs> it was like all this stuff. Yeah. And now every time I go home, there's something new. There's mm-hmm. like the city is like exploding. Like it's being revamped. Yeah. It's like the energy there mm-hmm. is unbelievable. You come here and it's just, it's terrible. Like the saddle don't need to be upgraded. Definitely. McMahon is no screaming heck. Like, like <laughs> well, Edmonton's got the facility. Like, so something as simple as like this, like Calgary doesn't have a single field house at all. Hmm. Like not a field house. Edmonton has two field houses plus like in the Kinsman and the Butterdome. Mm-hmm. Plus they have multiple covered fields. Mm-hmm. Now that field's got that dome over it. Yep. They have all these awesome facilities that can be used year round mm-hmm. and they get used, they get the bigger tournaments, they get all the co- concerts because they have these facilities that can host that. Yep. Where Calgary gets nothing. We get passed over for everything. Yeah. And people are like, why is it because they're putting the effort into it yeah. you know what i mean and like we need that kind of influx into our society like into our our city mm-hmm. if it's going to like get better in the future and with no sign of the oil industry turning around mm-hmm. we don't have a backup industry here like we needed something like the city needed something and like the olympics were literally our answer mm-hmm. and people couldn't think eight years down the road they were only thinking about tomorrow well, what also uh, is quite appealing to me is public transportation. Like, I'm not sure how often you went to Vancouver um, prior to the Olympics over there. I guess you would have been, or not too far. I, was in I didn't age. get to go to the Olympics for Vancouver. No, no, no. Vancouver. But I mean, yeah. just traveling there and like, you know, to the Vancouver before the Olympics and then after. The, the C train. Yeah, oh my God. Train. Yeah. 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 Like the Sky Train. Yeah, yeah, the, the ferries were running more and mm-hmm. um, I just walking around downtown uh, North Vancouver and everything like the whole city got this huge spark. Yeah. And now it's one of the most expensive cities to live in, but I don't think that has correlation to, uh, you know, the Olympics too much, but it's nice to see how all this is going. And yes, you know, it's quite expensive to live in Vancouver, but I feel that people are getting pretty good pay over there as well. I I would agree. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. And even like people were comparing what the budget was going to cost for the Olympics here versus like Vancouver and how Vancouver ran over budget and yada, yada, yada. But it was like the bid that the Calgary bid co put out took what the Vancouver bid went over by and added an extra 5% in -hmm. because they just planned for it. That was built into the budget Mm -hmm. and people just hear budget and they're like, it's going to go over that. Mm -hmm. But it was like, no, there was actually a contingency based on what Vancouver went over by built into that calorie budget. It was accounted for. And like the thing about Vancouver is like they went over budget, but there was no, so that was for that year. Mm-hmm. And yes, they came out a little bit in the red and in hindsight, it wasn't that much. It was like maybe a hundred million dollars, mm-hmm. which in the grand scheme of things is not, I don't call me on the number, but mm-hmm. in the grand schemes of what it was, mm-hmm. it actually wasn't like a significant amount. It didn't bury the city by any means. Yeah. And what you don't, because what happens is you only get to measure the Olympic year. You don't get to measure the trickle-down effect of how that boosts your economy for the next five to ten years. Blinders, they're just putting it on there. Yeah, and it's just like, wait a second, like, look at all this other stuff here. It's not tangible. They can't measure it. But So that you don't you don't have, like, numbers to be like this. Even, yeah. even Pyeongchang. So Pyeongchang spent, I think it was, like, our budget for, for what Calgary would have been for 2026 
in Pyeongchang, they were like $115 billion. Mm-hmm. They still came out in the green. They made money. <laughs> they made money yeah. in one year. Yeah. And like, because they built this bullet train that went to this area that uh, before, like people, it was a common area that people wanted to go to, mm-hmm. but it was a little bit further to like drive. Yeah. So they built this bullet train. Now this whole area is like this massive, like, it's on the Sea of Japan and it's awesome. It's such a nice place. And of course, like now people are just going to get on this one hour bullet train and go to the beach. Like it's awesome. Well, and like, I think it's a lot of strategic uh, planning as well. Like they planned it accordingly so that they could get people there and, you know, show off that area and stimulate a bit of life in, you know, that city. 100%. Where I think people always attach to when they, you know, they're fighting against something is they hold on to uh, the outliers that, you know, they kind of screwed up like Russia or Sochi. It's just like, nobody really goes there that's more of a destination spot and like they, they they built an arena that they could pick up and move yeah like why not just go somewhere that can host and it's not really the most winterized climate there i don't i forget no, what's like 20 degrees it, where, where is it like uh the, the black sea baltic sea i think not the baltic baltic would be north um, okay you're right yeah know. so she's so close to armenia and stuff but yeah so it's way south i think it's close to the black sea but uh very warm temperatures like they would have been better off I don't know, going a little bit further north. So uh, it just, it, it, I, I really find it amusing because like, um, I remember watching Colbert when they're talking about the, the Olympics possibly going to Chicago for the summer. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's taking numbers from here, there and stuff like that. And they were saying, oh, Vancouver's in debt already. But, and this is before the Olympics came. And it's like, how do they know what the numbers were? And like, how are they in debt already? And when the thing didn't even happen yet and the event's yeah. not over, like obviously they're going to make money from it. Yeah. You can't use those numbers yet, but people just grab things and just, you know, propaganda. And they, and they just like focus on, yeah. And even like people, the, the thing that pissed me off the most was people would be like, and they were, the numbers they were hard comparing them to mm-hmm. were Summer Olympics. And like, you're comparing apples and oranges. They're not even close to the same event. Like it's, you're comparing different species. Would, obviously, like you were saying before, uh, Winter Olympics are quite substantially smaller, but I find that um, it, it, there might be more maintenance and everything for the winter equipment and all that kind of stuff. But uh, The bobsled track is by far the most expensive thing. Yep. By far. Um, that's why Korea's was so expensive, because mm. um, they built a brand new bobsled track. Mm-hmm. We already have one. Yeah, like, yeah, like, <laughs> like that's that's the funniest thing, and like even Vancouver is like, hey, if you need like us to host some things, yeah. we could like, always we do that too. Like, like, it's it's not that crazy. Like, yeah, no, <laughs> no. Uh, so yeah, so by taking that out of the equation, and like Calgary wanted a new rink, so I think the biggest mistake the Bidco made um, in in appealing to the public was a lot of people just wanted a new rink, right? Mm-hmm. And what they did was they didn't include a brand new rink in the cost mm-hmm. because that they still wanted to kind of get a private funded deal on that similar to what Edmonton did. Mm-hmm. The city wasn't willing to do like commit to the rink, so they committed to building a smaller rink and then still hosting with the saddle dome mm-hmm. as well and people were like, "No, we want a new rink." And like go figure it's been what a year since or two years since the bidco like that sort of deal not even and uh we got a new rank like you guys we're gonna get a rank anyway like why like why people like it just drives me nuts and people like i'm not voting for this because i wanted a new rank and like where are the flames gonna play i'm like we're gonna get a rank like relax it's just gonna come out of a different budget like this is just a different thing like we're gonna get two ranks well uh, you know the flames are gonna play in houston 
Because they're going to move there, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Come on. As, as, an Oilers, as an Oilers fan, I'm just like, oh, I'm so happy I'm talking to Alicia here, who is also an Oilers fan and hates the Flames and the Canucks just as much as I do. How I wonderful. I hate the Canucks as much as you. I actually don't hate the Flames. Living here, it's been nice to live in a city that has playoffs. <laughs> so I, I won't, like I won't go against that. So yeah. this is the thing, too. is I mean, My, bro- my brothers hate the Flames. Okay. And I'm like, they're not bad. But I don't like Flames fans. Yeah. I find they're quite annoying uh like obviously because like we were quite annoying in the they 80s f- they find me annoying so that's okay <laughs> <laughs> well yeah the way whatever. i talk about dry sidle and mcdavid it's fine oh yeah and then now neil it's, oh, yeah it's, exactly it's i'm it's... always like hey guys how's james neil <laughs> <laughs> yeah lucic suspended eh? oh that's that's too tough oh, okay um but yeah the canucks i've never really been a fan of them ever since like like i i, I like bob uh bobby lou there robert luongo as a person but i find him just really annoying as a goalie for, for whatever reason but Bieksa, Kessler, oh, Alexander Burroughs. Like oh man, all oh, those guys. Like, and I actually don't like. I, I, I'm a, I'm a pretty, pretty big fan for the Boston Bruins. So when the cup, me too. Was actually, going on, 2011. Was, yeah, was uh, was awesome. I actually went to the Eastern Conference Finals that year. No in, way. In TD Garden won a game last that year. Sick. Yeah. I um I was at a fire camp and we had a bunch of BC unit crews there uh-huh. and I'm wearing my Bruins jersey because I knew I was gonna be able to watch the game at the camp what I was uh, looking after and they're all looking at me and I was like you know who's on my Bruins, Bruins my Bruins jersey Uh no Lucic Lucic <laughs> I got Chara <laughs> okay that's a classic yeah. oh yeah no for yeah. sure he actually just played his 1500th game yeah uh, getting a little bit back on track uh so do you think we'll see Olympics in Calgary in our lifetime. In our lifetime, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Do you think there'll be another surge to get Olympics back yeah, in Calgary, at least be. Vancouver? It probably won't be for another decade, but I can't see them. I can see this coming back up as a as a way to influence because the city needs something, and I think I don't know. I really hope it turns around. I know the our mayor is trying to really push to get some big tech stuff coming mm-hmm. into here and just have a resurgence of some sort of industry, but um, we'll see. And what are the uh, What's the future looking like for sliding sports in Calgary? I, I was hearing some stuff about the track last uh, winter. Yeah, so the track is closed this year. So no that is the worst case scenario for me who is taking this year off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and they, again, it comes down to politics. And the province already promised the track a significant amount of money to uh, change the, the nature... Not, what's the word I'm looking for ammonia tanks underneath that keeps Ooh, the, yeah. the coolant yep um, and uh, yeah so in doing that but then Calgary also got the X Games so they needed more space at its EOP for a new part of the X Games like course that they need to set up I don't know if it's for freestyle or whatnot, but mm. um, so what they were going to do was renovate the track. So Calgary right now has, it's one of the only tracks because it is the oldest track. Mm-hmm. It's one of the only tracks that has a split top. So the luge start and the bobsled and skeleton start yep. has two different starts mm-hmm. and they join together in corner six where usually other tracks, they all have the same corners. So just, they just go in at different mm-hmm. parts to the same track. So what they wanted to do was they wanted to blow out the top five corners of the bobsled skeleton side so they could have more room closer to where the ski jumps are, where which is where like the chairlift and stuff is for the COP hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they were gonna build a bobsled and skeleton start at the top of the luge thing and have it all one track. Mm-hmm. And then it would be more out of the way and we'd have more room for more activities, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> um, so many room for activities. Exactly. <laughs> um, 
but uh, yeah, so the the coolant came out because it had to. It was actually becoming a safety hazard, um, and then they got into a stalemate over the last third of the money that they needed to do this construction project. And Winsworth said, we're not paying for it. The province says, we already gave you this much money. We're not paying for it. City says, we're not paying for it. And now it's just going around and around and around. So now there's no track. And is that hoping, is there the hope that it's going to be taken care of for next season? If it's going to be taken care of for next season, they'd have to start construction on it like now. Oh geez. So it's not looking good. And if we don't get a track, we as Canadian sliders, are not going to be a powerhouse in bobsled and skeleton anymore because mm-hmm. that track is it's it's a very good track to learn on mm-hmm. and for instance like korea comes here china comes here mm-hmm. uh brazil comes here everybody had the filipino crew behind me when i was uh, going down my slide like, everybody <laughs> comes here because it's a major it's the only track that's in a major city mm-hmm. like right in the heart of a major city mm-hmm. so you have access to you know, chain hotels that are cheaper to stay at. You have an airport that's close by. We have a whole garage full of bobsleds that you can rent to learn to drive on. Mm-hmm. It's literally the easiest place to, to go to learn to host driving schools. So, and, and we have the ice house. So we have the mm-hmm. indoor ice facility that's in the Windsport arenas that we can practice pushing the sled. And so it's like the perfect hub for people to come train at. So we get all the other nations like Australia lives here. Like they come here to train. I wouldn't be an Olympian if it wasn't for the Calgary track. Cause there was no way in hell I was going to go to Whistler to like learn to see if I liked it. You know what I mean? Like for me coming from Edmonton, it was like, okay, I can hop in the car and go down and try for the day and come back at the end of the day. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like it's three hours away. Um, yeah. So without that track, I just think that we're going to, we already have a recruiting problem. So like for us to try and develop new athletes, on this like basis kind of like it's very similar to what Europeans do but the Europeans have so many tracks within them oh yeah like I can drive like if you can be in the middle of say you're in the middle of Germany yeah you can get to between Germany Austria and Switzerland and then even like in France you can get to I think eight different tracks on within eight hour drive mm-hmm. like less or less right or from driving from here to Whistler it's about 12 if you factor in stops and snow but um <laughs> Yeah, so for us, it's going to be harder to develop new pilots. It's going to be harder to recruit people in the sport. And it's just going to be like, I don't, I don't think we'll see the effect of this at the next Olympics, but maybe even as early as 2026 yeah. and, and for sure by 2030, well, like we're going to, we're going to start to fall behind. Well, and that's the, the thing about the Olympics is that you have two and then you're looking at the new wave coming in. Yeah, yeah very much so. Um, so st- speaking of uh, other tracks in the... Um, in Europe and North America, what are some of your favorite tracks? My favorite track is St. Red's. So oh, yeah? That, yeah, that's the only natural track. So mm-hmm. it doesn't even open until January because wow. they have to wait for enough snow to fall so they can cut it out of ice and snow. And that would be something to see. Yeah, so the corners are always the same, but they're cut completely differently just mm-hmm. based on snowfall and who's doing the diameters of them, yeah. that sort of deal. And so that one's different. So that you said you went down the track here and you couldn't believe how loud it is. Mm-hmm. Dead quiet in St. Red's. No kidding. Dead Wow. Yeah, you're just like. It's, it's, it's like you're awesome. snowboarding or something. Yeah. Oh yeah, my it's god. It's amazing. And like. You're you're, you're 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 going down. You're like this is so nice. All right, I'm racing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and you get going pretty quick. Like it's the second fastest track because mm. but the difference is with Whistler being the fastest track. Mm-hmm. Whistler is very technically difficult, 
and it's very fast. Mm -hmm. So you have speed and difficult corners to deal with at the same time. So that was, is what makes Whistler so hard. Mm -hmm. Um, same Ritz is, there's a couple corners that are technical, um, but it's actually a little bit more of an easier track to drive that it's like, you know, you get on a corner and then you go straight again and then you get on a corner and then you mm -hmm. go straight again mm -hmm. and it's very flowy. Mm -hmm. It's nice. So you gain a lot of speed because there's a lot of straightaways where you're mm -hmm. accelerating, but, uh, but the speed doesn't feel the same as it does in Whistler because in Whistler you're like, Oh my God. I got this. Oh wow. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. That's the difference between the two. Um, if you would have asked me before last year, I would have said Whistler's up there for me too, but, um, do you it like it because it's the challenge then? The challenge. I yeah. like the challenge. Yeah, I really do. I like the, I tend to like the more technically difficult tracks. Mm -hmm. So the world championships that I'm missing this year are in Altenburg, and I really do like driving there. It's very technically difficult. People, mm -hmm. I like the tracks that people are scared of because I'm like, you're scared? Watch this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that and Lake Placid, I really enjoy as well. Right on. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously, the, well, I guess I have another question about tracks. I asked Jesse as well. Have you ever been to the Sarajevo track? No. That's pretty cool. I got to go there uh, in a fall and yeah, pretty neat. They use it for mountain biking now and they go down that. And really? Then, yeah. <laughs> they, they fly, uh, but it's got wonderful graffiti on it. Wonderful art. It's very, very cool. Kind of more of like a protest kind of thing now. Yeah. Yeah. I but very cool. interesting. Well, it was so significant at the time because they had the 84 Sar Sarajevo Olympics. Mm -hmm. And then I think it was a couple years after they started having their own little war going on and then so like they're right in the spotlight of the world and then everyone kind of just like turned their head to them so oh, they still have the track but it's kind of like a little uh memento piece more so they're not really super stoked about well they, they still love the olympics and everything but they weren't uh really happy how quickly they were forgotten about oh. yeah but if you ever get the chance it's a really cool city and uh, a really cool bobsled track and you can walk down the whole thing if you want cool yeah um with uh the bobsled community, it seems like it's so tightly knit. Like when I, w I went to the, the World Cup here in Calgary last year, everyone's sitting with everybody. It's very mixed. Like even if someone finishes and wins, you're hugging each other. Um, Justin Cripps, you know, like after he won the gold and or tied for the gold in, in Korea, like he's hugging the German team. Like, yeah, we're both champions. Like how cool is that? Um, but in that, do you still have like, a, like maybe a friendly rivalry or like a, just a dead set on rivalry with somebody? I do, but she doesn't know that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't know that we're rivals, but we are. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say who it is. Either. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, there's there's another athlete who started driving at the same time I did. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in, in Canada? No, no, okay, no, no, no. Okay. She's from a different country. Okay. Uh, and at the beginning, so if you really want to do your homework, you can find this out. There were, <laughs> in the first couple races we raced against each other, there were four or five races in a row. We were tied after the first heat. Holy shit. And uh, she always beat me after the second heat. And she, it's kind of funny. She's also, I'm really giving it away now. She's also a tall blonde. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. I Taller mean, than you? No, I think oh, she's okay. the same height as me. Okay. Oh, the same uh, height? Yeah, I think she's the same height as me. But, uh, yeah. Also has a Boston Bruins Lucic jersey. Signed. Definitely not. Signed. Definitely not. No. And she's actually a nice person. She is. But there's just been some things in her career that drive me nuts and take me off but luckily i beat her in the olympics there you go <laughs> hold that over um who are some of your favorite people to slide with obviously heather yeah obviously yeah. heather no but I, i've been so so lucky i have like have a, the best teammates like they've all been incredible mm -hmm. like whether they're 
you know, willing to do whatever extra I ask them to do without being like, or even without being asked. I, I love sliding with everybody. And that's what's been so great about the culture we've created with our team in the last, especially the last two or three years. Um, Cause all the pilots, you know, other than Olympic year, we were pretty set on our teams and I got lucky, like so lucky to have Kristen, um, Bonowski. I didn't even want to try to pronounce her last yeah, name. I, I saw her like boosh. We got the boosh. on, on, on your uh, Instagram, like when I was following the races and everything, like yeah. I saw a lot of her and I'm like, don't know how to pronounce her last name, but I'm pretty yeah. good with Eastern European last names, but yeah, that's a tricky one. Uh, but her, it was her, Heather and I, so that year and we just had an absolute blast. Mm -hmm. And then even last year, like I slid with, uh, Bianca Rivi, who's now learning how to do, um, the driving school. And then we had Kasha and Janine who like just the most incredible teammates. Like they're awesome people. They're make everything so much fun. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah. And then having Cynthia who was doing the, the driving thing at the beginning of the year and then come back and race with me. And even Melissa was pushing me a little bit. So I, I'm so lucky that we have such an extensive Owen oh, cat. Like we just have like the best group of girls. Like <laughs> there's too many. Like, there's too many <laughs> that like I just I'm so thankful to have had them over the years and and even just going back a couple like even before that I had uh, Jean Bief Thibault whose mm -hmm. whose brother played on the um, stamps and uh, Sarah Dejeuner overall. So we I've had in the last couple of years just like the most incredible teammates and I wouldn't have had any success without them whether or not they were in the sled. And besides the obviously the the physical um, uh, portion of uh, you know bobsledding and and uh, pushing and all that kind of stuff, what makes for good chemistry with your brake band or your pilot when you're when you're prepping for the race as well as going down? Um, because you can't really communicate when you're going down because yeah, you don't need the chemistry when you're down the hill. Um, you definitely do at the top, and you definitely do in the start house. Like that's mm -hmm. the biggest thing. I think you really need to be able to like read your teammate and kind of anticipate what they need like do you need to get in their face and fire them up mm -hmm. or do you need to like give them their space like and there's a fine line across right yep. and in terms of like how hard you push and mm -hmm. not not physically but like just in terms of like trying to get energy out of them and people prepare differently like like some people in the start house like the start house is a scary place like never go in there like you're gonna see some weird weird stuff like oh, yeah. everyone's so different and like i'm the one who's got a the headphones on and if i'm not smiling and dancing look, this is this is not a good it's not not good you know what i mean like i need to be having fun like as chris spring would say fun is fast yeah yeah <laughs> um but that's me there are other people like i'm gonna give the example of of ben like like he he is like growling physically growling with his headphones on like in his space <laughs> taking up so much room like just like exerting manliness and testosterone and you're like oh shit stay away like you know and, and and every every girl i think is different like some girls are just super quiet because they're just in their head and mm -hmm. they're just focused and that's what they do and some girls are out and loud and singing and dancing and and others are you know a little bit more like aggressive it's just everybody you have to understand whatever and you just it just comes from time being around mm -hmm. people for so long it's like i i some races I'll race with one girl and then Christine De Bruin, the other pilot, her and I, we, we were flip-flopping brakeman last year. So like every other race we were racing with other girls mm -hmm. and just knowing like from the practicing of like, okay, she, this girl hits the sled a little bit harder or slower or mm -hmm. faster, or, um, we're going to do a little bit of a, a dip to get more in sync 
for this hit with this girl or, or whatever. And, and, uh, yeah. And just like for me being a pilot and just playing so many team sports, it's very like, that's something that I value about myself is like being able to recognize and understand what each person kind of needs to, in order for them to set themselves up to be the most successful and trying to enable that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right on. Um, and then the one thing that's always confused me is, well, I guess it's not really confusing, but it's maybe uh, interesting, is seeing brakemen or pilots switch amongst each other, even though you're you're going for so long with this person uh, for so many races, then all of a sudden a quick switch, or maybe it's different going into the Olympics. Uh, is that like a coach strategy being like, all Definitely. right, well, we want we want to just pair these people up because we find that they're the, the best two. So we want to make them our, our, our 1A and then this is our 1B, you know, who's, who's also pretty good, but maybe they catch some luck. And then we have our other ones. That, like, this is just more of an experience. Like, it's, it's really shitty to say that to somebody, but yeah. you're here to get experience. Maybe next time you come around, you'll totally. be one of the ones kind of thing. So that's kind of how it goes. Yeah, it's, co it's completely coach's discretion, especially the last since we've gotten our new head coach who we've had for the last two years. Mm -hmm. Um he, he 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 was very clear like he comes into me he's just like i make the team like, <laughs> it's job. and it's great like it's it's great you need a strong leader who comes in there because you know like no clicks get formed mm -hmm. um and he he solely banks teams based on performance like that's what we're here to do and like at this level i think that's all you need like it's, it's a little bit different when you're you know if i was just sitting here i'd want to slide with my friends yeah like, for sure but um like especially at the level we're at at the world cup level like we're here to win races i was gonna say you want to have fun and, or you want to win yeah exactly but we have a job to do in mm -hmm. a high performance sport and coaches discretion absolutely mm -hmm. uh i'm sure you've been waiting to talk about this for a while i saw your eyes get big when we we're talking about korea but what was that experience like like obviously the olympics itself and then as well as just being in you know a new country that i don't think you've ever gone to korea before the olympics did you i had gone so the olympics was my third time and i went three times or because you were on the tour with Sochi and in, in, in 11 months I went to Korea three times in 11 months okay wow so we got to go the season prior uh, the last race of the year was mm -hmm. the homologation of the track so that means it's the first time that everyone gets access to it oh cool it's very limited access um, and it was the last World Cup of the, the year prior to mm -hmm. so we were there for three weeks we got to spend the first we spent basically the first two weeks. We spent it was so interesting. I was it was so fun. We did so we had three women's teams and three men's teams, and so like Canada one men and women would try something in a in a corner, and then Canada two men and women would try something in a corner, and then three. So like we literally were like, okay, you two are doing this today, you two are doing this today, you two are doing this day, and we had coaches mm -hmm. videoing it. And then at the end of the day, we'd all get together and collab and we're like, okay, what did you feel on that? Let's look at the timesheets. What did you feel on that? And mm -hmm. then we're all like, okay, so we did this and we felt that we had this good line coming out of it. Yeah. So this is how we actually, and we basically put together a program of yeah. like how to get down the track and then we got huh. to race at the end. And that was my only uh, World Cup podium. So, so you, we got the bronze medal of that one. Like looking at, look, 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 look at the times, it'd be like, whoa, you're, you really gained a lot of speed here. And we didn't. Totally. Like what happened here? Like we didn't hit the wall or anything, but what did you guys do? That's totally. that's fascinating. Totally. Wonderful. So we kind of like, it was a big Team Canada effort to get it together. And Fuck yeah, it was. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Why do you think we all did so well? <laughs> um, yeah, and then so in, in the fall, the first runs of the year, we went back to Korea. Okay. And then so we were there 
and just for I think we were there for a week mm-hmm. we got to do six days of sliding or something like that and then we went back for the game so then we so in February we left I think February 2nd and or got there February 2nd and mm-hmm. then left on the 28th so or yeah 28th so like we were there for the entire month yeah and it gives you a little bit more time to decompress and actually have fun and stuff where uh before it was probably just business as usual oh when we were there before it was literally just yeah. like we're just here for the track and then get yeah. out and get this olympic season going but um yeah so once we all qualified we all got there so we got two days on the track prior to the opening ceremonies and then that was it so we got our two days four runs and it was like minus 40 it was so cold um and then it was opening ceremonies and yeah so i'd say the olympics was the best month of my life uh the best part was competing yeah like it was just like just to be under i didn't feel pressure but it was like it was the biggest race of my life and i just i knew that there was nothing else i could have done to be ready for it so i was just ready to just go just with it do i yeah. was just ready to do it yeah. and like try and experience and bring the experience in the entire time yeah I, my memories are not the greatest but i think you guys were closer to the beginning of the olympics correct no no you we guys were at the end we were at the end so oh, okay they did luge goes first mm-hmm. so we did so we had the opening ceremonies and then there was a whole week where we had nothing mm-hmm. so we got shipped out of the mountain village down to the coast because mm-hmm. they the mountain village was the big one and mm-hmm. there was just too many athletes up there so they kicked us out because we weren't competing so we went to the coast so heather and i we were going to we went and watched a couple events yeah. and because at that point people are like shouldn't you be training hard you're like no you're not training hard you're tapering like it's the week before the olympics the work is done like yeah. you in fact you're trying to just manage your stress you're trying to manage your nervous system mm-hmm. so and we also knew that we were competing at night so we like heather and i we were staying up watching like goofy tv shows and yeah. stuff till two and three o'clock in the morning on purpose <laughs> and then sleeping in till noon and then getting up and like going to the cafeteria and like trolling the cafeteria for three hours because we had nothing <laughs> else to do and like we would just we we're having fun just burly bringing it up spent yeah. a lot of time in in the uh the athletes lounge in fact i think one of my favorite nights of that first week was we were so we had this athlete lounge in the team canada building mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like the place there's snacks there's whatever you can just go hang out there's tvs and stuff in there and beanbag chairs and it was like <laughs> half of the men's hockey team uh three figure skaters and two long track speed skaters and then heather and i and we had it was the first night that hockey started <laughs> and we had two tvs going and we had because we were getting the direct feed yeah. there was no commentating on it mm-hmm. So the boys, the hockey boys, were taking turns commentating on it. And it was so funny. Like, I was just dying. Like, I was absolutely dying. Like, it was hilarious. Like, the commentary, and they were just, like, getting so into it. And then in intermissions, like, people were, like, McDonald's break, and, like, go to McDonald's and, like, bring back, like, these, they had these, like, fried pot, apple pies. Yeah. I couldn't eat it because I was so close on weight. I'm always close on weight. So I, like, they would bring back McFlurries and stuff for everyone, and the intermission breaks oh my god it was a time and then uh the second week we got back up to the mountain village and then so i had the men's the men were competing in the in the two men event Mm -hmm. and then they had a day off and then that day off was the first day we got to do our official training so i had three days of official training and then we raced and then the three days of official training also involved us doing like runner polishing and that sort of deal and that I, i i turned the tv off like other than 
I had to watch the guys race because I had to know. And Heather's like, are you sure you can watch it? And I'm like, I have to know. Like, I can't mm-hmm. not watch it. But I was really trying to, like, watch it and just be stone-faced and, like, like you know, like... Do you, fi- to- do you find yourself leaning when oh, you're yeah, watching totally it, too? Totally <laughs> do. Totally do. Totally do. That's awesome. Well, especially, like... I'm really close with all three of our men pilots. Yeah, like we're all like sure. really good friends and just like, I'm like talking to them through the TV and, yeah. and like people are like, you didn't go watch them race. I'm like, no, I got to race the next day. Like I would love to be there for them. I would absolutely love that to be there for them, but I needed to like stay at home in my, my team Canada onesie mm-hmm. and, and watch it. And like also it helped cause I had to stay up late. Cause I, again, we were trying to be on that schedule yep. and just anticipating, especially cause I load up caffeine when I compete. Oh, so I knew I wasn't going to go to sleep. And like we were racing at nine o'clock at night, which means I didn't get back home till close to midnight, which mm-hmm. means I wasn't, I was fired up until two or three o'clock in the morning anyway. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and just having been on that schedule and knowing then, cause it, if you just do that the one time, then it's hard to sleep in in the morning, right? And I knew I had to sleep in, but Heather and I had no problem. We, we slept until like 11.30 on race day. It was great. Awesome. Yeah. And then, so competing was the best part. Opening ceremonies, second best part. Oh like, my God, probably, yeah. That was the, the pivotal moment for me was like, I want to be one of those athletes. I get to walk in the parade of athletes. That looks, ab- I, I'm such a patriot. Like it, when, when I was a kid, I dreamed of the Olympics. Cause like my family, we always watched Olympics like Donovan Bailey. Like even when uh, he had the race against Michael Johnson, like everything, like, like everyone, we just glued to the TV mm-hmm. and I just loved it. And so again, that's why I'm so pissed off that it was in Australia for Vancouver. Mm-hmm. I got to watch it, you know, a few events, you know, I, I missed the gold medal game, had to do my scuba dive, oh my but God. I got to watch it later, which yeah. was wonderful. Um, but, oh, like it's, it's just, it's so cool. And like, I get, you know, all like goosebumps and stuff when I watch like the opening ceremonies, closing ceremonies, I feel so happy for the flag bearers and stuff like that. And that's just me being like a mm-hmm. civvy, you know, like just like, oh yeah, I'm just a normie here, just on the couch, like, or watching, you know, sports and somebody like, he's got the puck and it bobbles off his stick and I'm eating potato chips, like what a loser. <laughs> but like, it's, it's so cool to see it from, you know, just a spectator's perspective, but from the athletes, like it's, it's another world. Uh, yeah. I've, there's no, it's gotta be extremely humbling to be surrounded by the world's best athletes well, for their, their events. I'm like, I'm like hanging out and I'm like, I know you, I know you. I, know you. I used to watch you on TV. Like, yeah. I'm like, what? And we're all just like hanging out. Like, yeah. It was just so amazing. Well, and like the athletes village seems so cool. And like the, uh, with Korea, they had family members come in and the Arkells yeah. showed up. I thought they allowed family members to show up. Or it was, it was uh, open to the public. At least I understand. No, the village. Wasn't there not. some? Wasn't there some Canada area? House was. Canada House. My mistake. House sorry. Was. Yeah. yeah. No, sorry. Got the wrong the title there. No. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> no family was going in the village. <laughs> the, the stories I've heard about the village. Sorry, I got confused there. Yeah. But yeah, Canada House. Canada yes, House they had was. Eric Kells come, and like everyone's yes. pumped up, and yes, the families got a little bit of recognition too, because you know whatever family members can make it, that's such a wonderful moment for them to see their children um, competing, and then to party as well. That's got to be really cool. I had it. Eight people came. Eight. That's a lot. That's like a lot. in my mind, that's a that's lot of a people. Lot. Yeah, I had both uncles, mom, dad, my sister, my really close friend who owns this house, and then <laughs> my other two best girlfriends. Like that's amazing. Yeah, it was. It was. It was something else. It was something special. So, and then like, did you when when you finished the race? So when did, I finished, yeah, there was four days left. Yes. So I said, best part of the Olympics was competing. Yep. Then the opening ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And the third best part was the four day nonstop party that ensued <laughs> when we finished that race. Yeah. Like that was the most <laughs> insane. Like I'm talking like an 
there's no hard liquor there. Yeah. Like all they had was soju, which is like kind of similar to sake, I guess. Yeah. A little bit less. And beer. Yeah. And beer was cheaper than water. Oh, sounds good to me. And like the four days that ensued after we finished racing, like I was coming home at 730 in the morning every night and like i would be going into the cafeteria to get pancakes before we went to go pass out and like people are going to compete <laughs> just like <"Woo!" laughs> but like it's funny because it was like for me doing that it wasn't even it's not it wasn't even that bad because i know luge athletes that did it for 11 days straight oh my god like because they finished in the first week yeah, yeah. so i only had four days of it i made the absolute most of those no kidding yeah how was the beer over there I don't know. I was just... Can't remember. I, I wasn't enjoying it. I was just <laughs> after after five of them, it was pretty much the same. Yeah. We were five. <laughs> yeah. So, like, after you finish, you get out of the sled. It's just relief. You, you did your best. You are you were happy with that, what you... you I your totally result. was. You know yeah. why? Because, uh, like, going into it, I knew we had a chance to medal. Like, we did. But there were just... Everything would have had to go right for it mm-hmm. to happen. And, like... You don't, I didn't want to put the pressure on, like, we need to meddle. Yeah. But, it, like, I also, I knew that there was the possibility of doing it. Like, we were close. So, we ended up, like, 0.7 seconds outside of a medal. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a tight race in general. Um, and I made one big mistake on my second run. And then, you know, Heather's like, okay, this is our last run. We got to leave it all on the floor. Like, And my last run was my best run. It, it definitely was. Like, mm-hmm. it was my best drive. Um, we had a pretty decent push. And so I got to the bottom and like, you know what? I literally did everything in my power and this is what it equated to. Mm. And it was, it was relief. Like that was, that's like, there was, of course there's disappointment. You want to win. I always want to win. Yeah, no, absolutely. But like also like. If if you keep putting that, you know, you need to win all the time and you don't come up winning, it's just too much on you. But there was this sense of like fulfillment because like I had performed, I, I do believe my performance was to the best of my ability at the time. Um, and, uh, and I felt like I prepared properly and, and like, yeah, I was, I was proud. I was proud. It was good. I was ecstatic when that ended. Heather and I, as soon as we got to the change rooms, we cracked beers and started going through the media circuit and they wouldn't let us hold it. And we're like, why we're advertising for Molson Canadian. Come on. Well, it's, it just reminds me of uh, John Montgomery's moment. And like, that's kind of what we, how Canadian of that. Well, because you're female and you know, no, there's the, well, no, no, I was going to lead into the, the women's hockey team there, how they have the cigars and beers and oh, they're, yeah, they're yeah. like, you need to apologize. It's like, what? <laughs> it's yeah, just like, in my opinion, if you just finished a race that you've been training for, for how long? Yeah. Let them, if, as long as it's legal, Sure, oh, yeah. why not televise uh, it? I don't know if it was legal where we were drinking it. That might have been why. Because oh, we were right at the track and we were like on the side of the track. <laughs> so that might have been why. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, we're actually, surprisingly, it's over an hour, 20 minutes we've been recording. Okay. It flew right by. Uh, I don't want to take up all your time here. I still got questions, but we can get those later another time, hopefully. Um, I did want to talk a little bit more. You seem like you're a very good advocate. I find that both at, most athletes are very good advocates for mental health. Okay. Um, especially with, you know, it, 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 like, I think one of the things that I, obviously I'm not, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of things to go with it, but when I was thinking about, you know, really competing for bobsled, even if it wasn't going to be, you know, if it was just going to be me just doing it for fun, mm-hmm. um, you know, like you look at some other people and you really think it's like, well, like, do I have what means to be a, you know an athlete in that sport or that profession or anything like that? Uh, not just physically, but mm-hmm. mentally. 
because I'm like, can I handle, you know, could, could, could most people handle breaking a leg and being out for a whole season and then maybe coming back that next season? Who knows however, like how that all comes about. So in a very high risk sport like bobsled and I do, um, I was, because I knew the interview was coming up, I did save uh, one of your posts there and it was talking about, you know, I lost this year. Yes, there were injuries and all excuses, but at the end of the day, I beat myself. I wasn't able to overcome my insecurities, self-doubt, seven crashes in one corner. We'll do that to you. But, you know, time and time, uh, time after time, I was determined to be tougher. And I still, and I was still stupid enough to think I could magically pull it out in the world championships. Um, and then you're thinking all your teammates, like to me that, that, you know, I think resonates with a lot of people and probably whoever read that that athletes are people too. And you guys go through more than just, um, oh, dang, we lost, or oh, I lost by a hundredth of a second. It's just like, no, that carries with you when you go home. And there's all kinds of different ways to, to handle that. And like, I'm just curious with yourself, how you're able to do that. And, you know, I, I think that you, you were injured um, slightly in the World Cup, or maybe not even slightly. Um, but Seven centimeter tear in my calf. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, like, well, I don't, I don't want to... I say slightly because I don't want to make it, um, you know, sound like bigger than it was or smaller than it was. And you still competed. So you push through the pain. You you want it. You want to do what you can. Like what else? Like what do you do? How do you how do you prep for that? Like who decides? Like do you just have to talk to your coach about things, or do you just hide? Like there's got to be some points where you want to hide something from them. There's a lot of things that all in my life that I've faked it till I made it. Mm -hmm. Um. Because I almost had to like trick myself into believing in it because you can't do anything without confidence. You can't do anything without actually believing that you can do something. And last year was mentally was the hardest year for me. Um, trying to defend my own track in a track that previously years I was awesome at mm -hmm. awesome. So I think that also added the element of, uh, pressure. Mm -hmm. on my own self because I'm like I'm awesome at this track no one should beat me and and then I started to crash and then I started to doubt that I was awesome at the track mm -hmm. and uh, like in it just kind of kept spiraling down and down and then once when it, it got to a point where I was just blacking out in the corner because I was essentially going through PTSD is what they they said because it was just such a high stress that I couldn't even react to it anymore mm -hmm. Um, and when you're going 147 kilometers an hour, it's, if you don't make your decision before you get there, you're done. Like it's, mm -hmm. you have to, you have to, you have to preemptively steer there and, and I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, and the hardest part for me about that year was just being a disappointment, like not living up to what my potential was. And I think that, that is the, what a lot of people go through in life. Like it's you know like we have these expectations of who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to act and and what we're supposed to achieve and and when you don't measure up to them it's like how do you handle it and i didn't handle it well last year and i ended up a loser and luckily i mean that's all that happened i mean my brakeman did have a concussion but um she's totally fine now thank god um it's <laughs> good yeah but then i had to choose you know like i i really want i said i quit at the end of the last year and, uh, but then I had to ask myself too, I'm like, well, are these the conditions that I want to go out on? Um, absolutely not. So I, for me, like 
talking about it is huge because mm-hmm. if especially if you just keep burying it those problems don't go away so mm-hmm. i've actually had to do this thing that i can't believe how incredible it's been not just for my bobsled life but for my real life too mm-hmm. um it's called cognitive hypnotherapy and i'm working with alan if anybody wants to uh <laughs> hit me up i can guide you his contact so i see him via skype because mm-hmm. he's in the uk and um it's kind of like working through these like deep-seated i'm not going to say issues because this is performance related Mm -hmm. um but just obstacles obstacles insecurities yeah um and basically what it's about doing is that like people we as humans are animals and like we have instincts and our instincts are usually right yeah but our cog our like concept of reality is is very much like influenced based on what people say to us mm-hmm. what we see mm-hmm. what we think people are thinking mm-hmm. like and that's a big one for me is yeah, that it influences piece. yourself yeah yeah um and and it influences how we suppress our own instincts absolutely and when i was feeling when i was in that position so i had torn my calf so i wasn't pushing fast mm-hmm. remember you have to push fast to win a race absolutely but in my brain i'm like i know this track so well i should be able to outdrive everyone else and yeah. come back from it um and then the driving wasn't going well. And then I was making mistakes there. And then I tried to overcompensate by making a runner decision to go for it because I, I went on runners that would going to be, those are the blades on the bottom of the mm-hmm. set. And I was going to try and go on them because I knew they were going to be faster, but I also was sacrificing a lot of control wow. and the temperature dropped even more. So yeah. the ice was even harder, which means I had even less control. Yeah. So then I was like dealing with this decision about to go down. I'm like, I just screwed us, which like it, it, and it came to fruition because I believed it and Mm -hmm. kind of, so I have to kind of like step back and, and go through and, and when it comes to Whistler, like I, I was excited to go back this year because I feel like the steps that I've taken over the last eight months to, to really like be able to be confident and go to the stop of that track and not be literally shaking my boots and just be ready to be like, okay, we're going to do this. And I know I'm going to get it because yeah. I don't want to be defined by those seven mistakes that I made. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I made, and I made more mistakes than that, but like seven of them were costly, seven crashes, but I have 700 runs there. And yes, they all happened in one season, but like, I know, I know this track. So why am I letting my performance be dictated on something that's happened now when I have years of experience of proving to myself that I know how to do it. And you have to be able to like kind of dig deep to find where that, that confidence is and be able to do it. Um, so for me, for mental health, a lot of things have to do with that. This cognitive hypnotherapy has been incredible for, in terms of even my creativity for school I've been working on and some of my, my personal relationships and, um, working on that and just, and, in being willing to accept that that's part of life and Mm -hmm. and like things happen like we we have highs and lows and bobsled is the worst for this bobsled is like when things are going good like the olympics like when things are good your high is like no other high like i played i played basketball like i've been trusted to take team game winning shots and hit that like you know what i mean that feels good but nothing feels good as when you nail something in with the adrenaline going, with the speed you're going, and you nail a bobsled run, you know like that was a good run. Yeah. Nothing feels better than that. I can imagine. But on the mat, on the flip side of that, when things are not going well and you're smashing walls going at that speed and you're not confident <coughs> and like track conditions are, are something you're not comfortable with, 
nothing feels lower mm-hmm. and like it, it your adrenaline and your nervous system it just like it feeds into your body chemistry and yeah. you have to understand that like these highs and lows that you're experiencing you have to learn how to manage them mm-hmm. and if you can't manage them at least be able to acknowledge the fact that you feel like this because of what you're putting yourself through and i think that applies to life too like life has highs and lows mm-hmm. and like you if you can't pull yourself out of the low you have to at least acknowledge, accept, and forgive yourself that it's okay that sometimes you have to be at a low to be able to get back to the high. <laughs> Incredible. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, that was awesome. Uh, so do you find that that, like last season, was that maybe that wake-up call, that kick in the ass? Well, that, so for me, it like, was. It's as terrible as it was for you to be injured and all, and like and suffer all these losses and stuff, but sometimes you just need to be down to just realized and like, well, fuck, what can I do to get back out to of get here? get back up? I mean, yeah. So like when I made the decision that I wasn't going to quit, like I, yeah. I didn't want to end it like that. You had time to think about it. Yeah. I knew that I needed to have a big summer physically because if I was going to mm-hmm. go back in and try and get some confidence for my driving, I needed to have a big physical summer so that I could at least be, have the confidence in my body to be able to push. And that centimeter, that seven centimeter calf tear, was still like four and a half centimeters when I started training again, which mm-hmm. turned into Achilles tendonitis, which turned into like foot pain, which means I haven't had a pain-free day since Fuck. since June 2nd. Mm-hmm. So now being November 8th, um, I had an MRI this morning and I'm not sure if it's going to show anything because at the end of the day, what's going on, I'm pretty sure is overuse and just I've, I'm 30 and I've been a high level athlete since I was 14 years old. And like, I've been pushing myself really hard. And so having this humility of knowing that I can't be the best that I can be unless I have confidence in my self physical so that I can get my, my drive, my, my mental aspect back. Mm-hmm. So for me to go on tour this year at 70% of what I, I feel like I need to be in order to win. I'm se- I'm not setting myself up for any favors. Like I'm, I'm going to go on and like, yeah, okay. I'll probably do. Okay. Like I'll probably be okay. Mm-hmm. Am I going to win? Not a chance because bobsled is won and lost by hundredths of a second. Yeah. And if you're behind by even five hundredths of a second at the start, because you're sore, mm-hmm. you don't really have a chance to be in, in the mix for medals. Yeah. And for me and just being as low as I was last year, and I had to set what my priorities are. And my priority is, like, I don't want to go back to the Olympics just to go back. Like, this time no. I want to go back to win. Fuck yeah. And I can't do that unless I peak at the right time. So I'd say for 2018, I probably peaked a year too early. Um, and I burned out a little bit that year. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to be physically healthy. And the only thing that I haven't done for this Achilles is rest it. And... Um, I've I've had enough bad decisions about and I am a terrible person. I need sometimes to be saved from myself because I will push. I always push. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when I was given this, I'm calling it an opportunity to make a decision. Yep. I could go on tour this year. They said I could go. Like I've earned my spot within the program. Yeah. Um, and go, but they also gave me the opportunity to stay home and recover and then come back as an even better athlete next year and. And that if I don't, if I would have not, if I hadn't gone through what I'd gone through mentally last year, 
not a chance. Mm-hmm. The answer would be, I'm sliding this year. Like, there, I wouldn't be able to get over <laughs> yeah. that ego part. Yeah. But um, just all the, the mental work I've done and trying to, like, resolve and just really focus on what my long-term goals are and, and be focused on those, it's it's a little bit more settling that I was able to see that this is a this is the gift of time and I need to use it to the best of my ability. That's, uh, again, that's awesome. Like, <laughs> it, it's it's just really interesting to see just more of this uh because you know on tv like athletes just seem so like yeah you see them get injured and stuff but they still like these working units of like peak physical condition kind of thing so Mm -hmm. it is nice to see someone actually take that time and be like you know what no i need to i need to better myself physically and also mentally and i truly believe that if you do both of those things you'll be a better whatever you're doing like, well, even, let's even, hope this will be a great story <laughs> if it ends up with me on the podium in 2022 otherwise it might just sound like some herb that needed a year off so that's what i was afraid well if they do so. a movie they'll have to have this little section in there where i'm like interviewing you and then it flies into like you know doobie cox has to think about his entire life before he you know gets yeah. on stage kind of thing yeah um but you no know, like with anybody doing anything in their life you know it's like you gotta look after yourself and like and if your job you know takes into account that you need to be physical, then you need to look after yourself too. So, um, no, that's, that's really good that you're doing that kind of stuff. So like for, um, other things to keep you busy, cause you, you can't just be a couch potato now. Um, what, other, what else are you doing this winter? So I started doing a certificate in business through Queens. Um, and I wasn't going to do any courses in the second half because we were going to be in Europe for 10 weeks straight. Mm-hmm. And I only have two courses left to finish that program. So I'm actually going to do both in the second semester. So starting in January. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because I'm not allowed to run, jump or push for the next, like probably two more months, um, doesn't mean that I can't train. So it doesn't mean I can't work on like um, my bench press has not gone up in years. And like now is the time to focus on that. Absolutely. Can. Like other things that, and like just really building that solid foundation that will keep me strong enough that in, when I start applying that force, cause it's always like things start to break down when you apply ex- excess force. Right. And like, so just building up general strength, general load capacity. Um, so I'm still in the gym three days a week. I'm just not doing any Olympic lifting right now and I'm not sprinting and I'm not jumping, um, until I'm pain-free. So we're praying that that comes for the new year. Um, and that being said, just because I'm not competing doesn't mean I can't bobsled. So I am going to head out and Chris Spring is actually taking this year off as well. He's uh, been dealing with the knee issues. His was always planned. Mm-hmm. Um, mine was kind of a last minute decision. Yeah. Um, so him and I are going to coach each other, help each other. And uh, we're still getting runs in. So, And that's the thing. I've been talking to some of the athletes from other nations. And they're like, well, where are you going to slide? And they're like, well, yeah, you're right. I can't go to Calgary this year, but I can go to Whistler. And they're like, oh, Whistler, that sucks. And I'm like, well... You can think of it like it sucks because it is challenging, yeah. but you, like the way I see it is like, if I can go back to Whistler and just, if you can slide Whistler, you can slide anywhere. So I was just going to say, if like, it's one of the most challenging ones and you get to practice on that almost every day for uh, like, you know, X amount of time. Exactly. Yeah. How awesome is that? Yeah. So I'm, I'm planning on living in Whistler <clears> for most of January. I'll probably come back for a couple of weeks in February and then go back for another couple of weeks. Um, just getting runs in still focusing getting that mental training in driving down the track um it just won't be in my speed suit (laughs) (laughs) that's fair yeah whatever helps honestly in the long term um i also wanted i like asking people this too uh what are some of your podcasts that you like to enjoy 
What do I listen to? Yeah. Um, I listen to Spit and Chuckless. <laughs> um, that's my main one that I, I follow pretty loyally. Do you ever find that sometimes you just start talking with a Bostonian accent? No, I don't. <laughs> I'll talk to my friends like, what for? I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> Um, no, but I'll say stuff like not a big deal. Oh, <laughs> like, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, Bissonette is, he's so funny. He's so funny. Oh, just a clown. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm a big fan of them. Um, but I, I actually listen to a lot of, I'm really into health and fitness stuff. Mm-hmm. So I listen to Ben Greenfield, um, quite regularly and, uh, mind pump as well. Oh, sorry. Mind pump. Mind pump. Okay. Yeah. So they, they, they're a lot of stuff about, they talk a lot about nutrition, mm-hmm. but mostly about like weight room stuff and, and yeah. different adaptations that they're trying to achieve. So I really, uh, with a kin background, that's the kind of stuff that I'm very interested in. Big time. Ben Greenfield is all about biohacking and kind of stuff that you can do to improve your, not only your performance, general mm-hmm. performance, but just longevity of life. And, you know, he's always up on what's the latest technological or technological advancement for helping you know tissue repair or cell autophagy like fighting cancer or stuff like that so yeah those are the three that i'd say i listen to quite regularly i have a couple more too but yeah the jay and dan (laughs) yeah of course jay and dan yeah yeah. well you got interviewed by them when you're in korea too yeah yeah and when they were here a couple weeks ago they did the traveling podcast we got to go back and see them again oh yeah yeah sweet definitely yeah Yeah. jay Jay seems so funny like oh my god they both are dan dan's got that like grumpy sarcasm i find it's almost like a dry comedy and then jay is just just again just a big, a big goof they they play off each other so well oh my god yeah. well yeah that's why they're able to make a great show of it i yeah. I've, i'm a big fan of their podcast as well and how they still have like that um spangler cup intro is just <laughs> wonderful <laughs> dance oh yeah. god dance. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. just it just routine every time opens it up every time with that um and to close it off here um <clears throat> Do you have any advice for any young athletes out there, like tips, um, like hard asking, hard questions to ask yourself before maybe uh, committing to something or like anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think my my biggest advice for athletes is, and this is a little bit of a controversial topic, is, oh. is don't specialize too early. Like play everything because when you when you play when you play like a specialized sport like people who are just like they only play hockey and they've only ever played mm-hmm. hockey since they were four years old mm-hmm. you know what I mean like you just miss so many adaptations within your physical self of like growing that I think that you get from playing a variety of sports and like for me it was so easy because I just love to play like I always just want to yeah, play yeah yeah um, and but you don't realize that the lessons that you learn from being in athletics and from being on different types of team sports and 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 the even the way your body matures by being exposed to different stresses like for instance like if you played hockey and then you played basketball so you have to learn how to run jump and all these other things you also have to learn how to skate you have to learn how to shoot and like all these you have to be strong in your rotation you have to be strong in your lateral thing Mm -hmm. that that by far was the biggest thing that I think led me to have such a good understanding of my body and Mm -hmm. like what it's capable of and and uh i think that that's my biggest recommendation i think because that's such a big topic right now mm-hmm. of all these kids playing you know year round of their sport because yeah. that's the only way you're going to be good if you're going to be a prodigy and i think it, the best thing that you can do is is and like for me i just i couldn't i loved everything so yeah. it was easy for me but just don't 
Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Well, it also helps too. Like if you have a number of friends, like I grew up in a really small town, like mm -hmm. 2,600 people. So like my buddies played volleyball, basketball, football, badminton. Like I, so I'm like, well, I'll play those too. Like yeah. I just want to like, hang out with you guys and play those yeah. things. If you, if you can afford it, like just jump out there. And if anything, it's just, it's, it's really good for teaching, um, you know, like different, like really good qualities and like not just in sport, but in life too, I find like teamwork, leadership, 100%. you know, all that kind of stuff. 100%. And with hockey, I, I hear that most hockey players or some of the best skating hockey players go and do figure skating for quite some time. Yeah. Or something else. Like it's <clears throat> like, yeah. Lacrosse yeah. is another big one. I think yeah. Shanahan was a big one uh, as well as, uh, who else was a big lacrosse player when they when they had the lockout? They went I over think there. Gretzky said he played lacrosse growing up. Too. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> he seems like he would be good at almost anything. Yeah, I want to um, say it was like Matt Deshane or Jeff Skinner or something like that. I oh, okay, remember. yeah, in that like newer. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, for sure. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. I think a lot of them like yeah, like don't like don't sell yourself short onto one thing mm -hmm. because if even if you don't. Even if you are really good at it, you'll fall out of love with it a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like the biggest thing. Right on. Yeah. All right. Well, you're saying that if anybody want to get a hold of you for this uh, hypno uh, hypno meditation, uh, cognitive hypnotherapy. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, they can reach you on Twitter, Instagram. Hit me up on Instagram. Yeah, and yeah, it's uh, yeah. Oh, uh, at Riz R I Z Z. No. Bob Slay. Right on. Yeah. There you go. Well, thank you very much, Alicia. This is. Honestly, a wonderful podcast. I've been enjoying learning more and more about bobsled and everything too. Uh, your page is hilarious. You have a lot of good, uh, good, good uh, posts there for for jokes and everything too. So it's not just strictly business. It's also lighthearted. You always gotta have fun. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much. Hope you have a good one. See you soon. Go Oilers. <laughs>